0: Lord willing, we'll get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 next week. Uh, It's kind of uh, unique how there are times when I just hit roadblocks and sit there in front of a screen with it blinking forever and a day and can't get a word to write. Uh, And the Lord has a way of teaching uh, me lessons in my own life and drawing me And my own heart, mind, and understanding back to those things that give me comfort and encouragement. You know, one of the things that's so hard for all of us to deal with uh, in our own personal lives is the reality that we're still sinners, and uh, painfully, at times, it becomes all too aware to ourselves. And it's in those times that the Lord drives us back, not to, to try to be new and improved or to correct. Uh, what we had previously failed at because all the corrections or none of the corrections can make up for any of the failures. That's the thing that nobody ever taught us. They always taught us in religion, if you fall, what do you do? You try to balance the scale out. It's got nothing to do with balancing scales out. God balanced the scale, did he not? And he did it in the person of his dear son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's made it clear to us as we have been called in this life. And I, I think about this often uh, as time grows shorter in my own life because we're all getting older. But our mission is quite simplistic in what he called us to do. When he gathered his church together toward the end, uh, he told his apostles before he ascended, You and me included, go ye therefore and teach all nations. So our responsibility is to what? To be instant in season or out of season to preach the word. Our responsibility is to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh thee a reason of the hope that dwelleth in thee with meekness and in fear. In other words, be prepared to tell people. Well, what are you going to tell them? You're going to tell them what you know. Well, what do you know? Well, that's what we come together for. It's, this is not a whipping post. This is not here to, this is not a time that we come together for me to tell you how bad you are and how fail, how miserably we've all failed because all of us know where we fail, come up short. All of us know that and we learn this lesson and it's a growing lesson, the older I get, the, the more prevalent it becomes to my mind and my understanding. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing for the wills present with me, but how to perform. It's just not there. So what do we do? Where do we go for relief? What's our source of comfort? Well, I went back to a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. I'd like for you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. I want to preach a message to you that I've entitled, God's Everlasting Love. God's Everlasting Love. I, that's something. You know, people say, boy, this thing of election and predestination, is, it's hard. I tell you what's hard, to think God could love me. But not just love me, but love me with an everlasting love. Isn't that amazing? I hope I can make this vivid to you and me this morning. I really do. You know, when, when it comes to knowing and, and understanding the love of God, and we hear we hear everybody, I, I, I watch a lot of sports. You know, I'm a big sports fanatic. I, I've just about got to the point that I turn the commercials off, especially in NFL, because they run in these commercials about he knows us. And it's about Jesus, you know. And they, they're trying to compare him. They got all these thugs running around with do-rags on, and, you know, they're stealing and criminals and stuff. And I saw one other day said, said, said Christ's family was messed up too. You know, I'm like... Come on, dude, really? But they have a false concept of this God of the Scriptures. When it comes to, to, to knowing what God's love truly is, what the love of God is, their minds, the unregenerate mind, is absolutely, positively clueless. Paul wrote this, The natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. To think that a God could love sinners, love them perfectly and completely and eternally, the natural mind doesn't comprehend that. How can he love me? If I fail him, how can he love me? If I fail him again, how can he love me? Neither can he know them. Can he embrace them? Can he love them? Why? They are spiritually discerned. Now, there's no doubt that religious sinners speak about God's love. And they've read and they claim for themselves the precious promises of verses that are exclusively meant for who? God's children. One of them being John 3:16. What's that verse? The one that everybody knows. The one everybody claims. Everybody's profession is based on. They think it's an open invitation to all men and women without exception. It's not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believeth in him. And that word whosoever, it's not like a possibility word. It's all. That word whosoever means all that believe shall have everlasting life. Yet the concept of God's love, the extent of God's love, the power of God's love, the efficacy of the love of God escapes them completely. To them, you think about it, to most of our friends and family, God's love is similar to our own love. That's, only, that's the only thing that we can, by nature, compare it to based on performance and sentiment and emotion. And when you think about it, men and women that believe and think that way, they're no different than those who made up national Israel, thinking that God loved them and would bless them because they had, as well as thought, what were they doing? They were keeping the law. Listen move God's words to, in national Israel. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people upon the face of the earth. These little people, little Jewish people, a little nation, out of all the nations that exist. Now listen to this. The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because He would keep His oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But folks, we shouldn't expect any more from them, from unregenerate sinners, either moral or immoral. See, and we understand and know them to be held in the natural depravity and darkness of their old Adamic nature. But here's the thing. Even those who are redeemed, Even those who are justified by Christ's perfect life of obedience and by his vicarious death at Calvary as their surety and substitute, here's the thing. They don't yet fully understand, nor do they fully comprehend the love of God. Paul told those at Corinth, I mean at Ephesus, he said, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, listen to the language here may be able may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you may that you might be filled with all the fullness of God He's telling them, my, my, his design in telling them these precious promises is what? That they might have a fuller knowledge and understanding of what? The love of God. That word rooted, that you being rooted, it literally means to strike root or be thoroughly established. While that word grounded means to lay the foundation. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in the parable he, he spoke in Luke chapter six, verse forty-eight and forty-nine about the man that built the house. He used the same word. Here it is, and He's describing the faith of His people, true God-given faith. He said, "He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid a foundation." There's that word, rooted. Laid a foundation. On a laid it where, on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat, beat vehemently on the house, it could not shake it. And here's the same word again: it was founded. What was it founded on on the rock? And what's that rock, according to 1 Corinthians 10, that rocks Christ. That's the greater foundation in no man lay than that which is laid. Christ Jesus the Lord. But he that heareth and doeth not is is like a man that has no foundation. He has no rock under him. Where did he? He built his house. Not on the rock, built it on the earth. Against which the stream did vehemently and immediate, uh, did beat vehemently. Boy, that's a hard word to say, vehemently. (laughs) And immediately, what happens to it? Because it's not, it failed. And the ruin of that house, he says, is great. And it would be. In order for you and me to fully comprehend the love of God, For Believers to be rooted and grounded in love. You know what we have to do? We have to be carefully taught from the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. That's what we need. Listen, it, it always boils back down to this. The one who's forgiven much, they love much. I need to be aware of what I've been forgiven and how I've been forgiven. So look at our text this morning. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And I might say this to begin with. Everyone that he loved with an everlasting love—what does this verse tell you? He's going to do to every single solitary one of them? <laughs> Doesn't make salvation a possibility. <laughs> he says, "Everybody that I loved everlastingly, what a, I'm going to draw every one of them to myself." That's not even in my notes. That's just—I just had to say that. That's important. Now there are several distinct truths that scriptures like this one that I just read to you, as well as other scriptures throughout the word of God clearly revealed to us concerning God's love. I'm going to give you three of them this morning. Real quick. And here's the first distinct truth that's set forth in passages like this that I'd have us to consider. And it's this. God's love toward his elect toward his elect is not nor could it ever be conditioned on them. That is to say, on their obedience, on their faith, on their sincerity, or their perseverance to the end. It says, The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, three, four simple words, I have loved thee. I want to be very careful here, and I want to be very clear here that I don't press the Scriptures beyond what God intended to convey to the mind and to the understanding. But I also want to be as clear as I can in dealing with this comforting and encouraging truth for all God's children. Now, I know that this religious world that you and I live in, <clears throat> they portray it like God loves toward all men, is conditioned on his foreknowledge. Him looking down through time and seeing what men and women would do, and then based on what he sees, that he would make his, his, fulfill his promise. If he sees you believing, then he'll save you. But now you think about this. That's not what the Holy Spirit's teaching, and he's not declaring to us through Jeremiah's word. He plainly says what? I have loved thee. I've loved thee. See, here's the thing, and I've seen this, I saw this when when the Lord first brought me to a knowledge of the truth. God, God didn't look down through time and see national Israel or any other sinner, either Jew or Gentile, doing anything that would cause God to love them. That's not what God does. Matter of fact, according to the Scriptures, you know what? God's love toward His own people, toward the sinner, is based on the fact that where are they at? They're in the Son. They're in the Son by divine election. They're in the Son by divine redemption. And in each successive generation, they are in the Son by regeneration and conversion through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul said this, For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature If I lift anything out, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Now, there's there's the key. Can't separate us from the love of God, which is where? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A great hymn writer, Isaac Watts, stated it this way. Henry used to quote this all the time. Watts said this, Christ be my first elect, God said, Then chose our souls in Christ our Head, before He laid the mountains' birth, or laid foundations to the earth. Prophet Isaiah even put it better. Now he said, "Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect." You see, mine. Who's he talking about here? Talking about Christ in whom my soul delights. Who does he delight in? His elect. Who's his elect? Oh, we are, yeah, but where are we at? We're in Christ. I have put my spirit upon him. We're talking about a person, Christ. He shall bring forth judgment. That word judgment means righteousness. He will bring forth righteousness, whose? He is, to the Gentile. Listen to Paul's words. I, I I can't get this out of my mind. It's, this is an amazing thing when you think about it. For the children being not yet born, <laughs> being not yet born, neither having done any good or any evil. They say God looks down through time and he sees what the sinner does and then based on what the sinner does, that's who he chose. Hold on. Children being not yet born, neither having done, listen, done any good or any evil. That the purpose of God according to election might stand. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it's written. Remember, remember what he said? The Lord spoke to me, Oh, I've loved thee. Jacob have I loved, before he done any good or any evil. Esau, for he had done any good or any evil. What did God say of Esau? Hated. And it doesn't mean love less. It means to, to detest. Well, that's not fair. We'll go read the rest of that passage over in Romans 9. That's where I'm quoting to you. That's Romans 9, verses 11 through 13. Go read verse 14. Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Shall the creature say to him that created him, have you made me thus? I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but what? God that shows mercy. He shows mercy to all his people. It's the only way any of us is getting in is by his mercy and by his grace. And all of this, think about it. Every bit of it, this thing of election, all of it was before God saw anything in the sinner. God, listen, God can only love us as we're found where? In his Son. I encourage you to go read Ephesians 1 and then tell me that's not the case. Outside of Christ, instead of God being a God of love, what is our God? For the God, Lord thy God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Writer Hebrews confirmed that when he wrote basically the same words. Outside of Christ, our God is a consuming fire. Period. The second distinction we gain from studying the love of God is the fact that God's love toward His own, thank God for the, it's an everlasting love. Everlasting love. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. As if it wasn't enough to tell us that he, that he loved me. A sinner by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice. But to know that this love for me, it's an everlasting love. It's a truth that should totally confident, captivate our hearts as redeemed sinners. Think about it this way. If God's eternal, Without beginning, without end. And the scriptures tell us, I am the Lord God, I change not. Think about that. I am the Lord God, I change not. That means to you and me that there has never been a time if he's the Lord God and he doesn't change, he's eternal, having no beginning and no ending. There's never been a time when God didn't love his own. Ever. And Good thing about this, there will never be some point in time in the future where his love can ever be extinguished toward his own. Solomon, in his wisdom, declared this, I know that whatsoever God doeth, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, whatsoever the Lord doeth, God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, Nothing can be taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear reverence before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. And this truth forever does away with any false, deceptive notions of universal atonement and the universal love of God that all men and women without exception. You think about that well-known verse, John three sixteen. This verse is not teaching us that God sent His Son into this world to suffer and bleed and die in order to show how much He loved us. This verse is teaching you and me, all God's redeemed, that because of God's everlasting love to us, it's His elect, and because His holiness and justice demanded perfect satisfaction from each and every one of God's elect, those that he chose in Christ, God's love has provided in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, everything his holiness and his justice demanded. And that's where the unregenerate mind makes a tragic mistake by thinking the love of God's like their own. God complained against man and said this, God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, and shall he not make good? It's Numbers 23, 19. You listen to me very closely. Man's love, mine and yours included, is always a conditional love. You hear me? Whether it's love to our friends, love to our spouses, Love to our children, love to our brothers and our sisters. It's always conditional. You say, no, it's not. Well, then you tell me why the Hatfields and the McCoys fought. You tell me why men and women that love each other 5, 10, 15, 20 years, all of a sudden they fall out of love with one another. You tell me how parents can disown children or children disown parents. What is that? It's condition on what you do. If you're unfaithful to your spouse, see how far that gets you. There's a condition that's not to be broken, right? And yet when the condition is broken, what happens? The vow's broken. We get our feelings hurt by somebody, what do we do? We shut them off. As children of God, we shouldn't do that. But what do we still do? Children of God do that. I mean, you think about it. Paul told those at Ephesus, believing sinners, told them to do what? Don't lie to each other. And yet, what do they do? The other hand, folks, God's love is not conditional, ever. It's not conditional on a sinner. The Apostle John gave us the clearest definition of God's love. What is God's love? In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein's love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loved us with an everlasting. He loved us and sent his son the propitiation for sin. Our Lord displayed the heart of God's love in his words in his high priestly prayer. Listen to this. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now th- think about that. You've loved them as you loved me. Father, I will that they be with, I, I will that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. Now think about that phrase, you've loved them like you love me. For thou lovest me, the Son, before the foundation of the world. That they've loved you've loved them like you've loved me. What was that? That was a prayer by our Lord Jesus Christ. That was His high priestly prayer. And I'll tell you one thing's for certain: every prayer Christ prayed, it was always heard, and it was always answered, every one of them. So what He plainly tells us is that God the Father has the same love for those Christ represented as he does for the Son, the one who represented him. And his love, what? It never varies, never changes. God's love doesn't grow cold when our hearts do, and nor does it grow hotter based on our performances. Listen to that verse again. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Let me tell you the only true constant in the universe. The love of God. The love of God. I don't know about you, but that gives me comfort and encouragement at all times of my life. Whether good times or whether bad times. I can't help but think of the Apostle Peter. When he had denied our Lord three times with an oath. When our Lord Jesus Christ looked at him when that cock crowed. How his heart broke. He said he, he turned around and went out and he wept bitterly. I'll tell you who else wept bitterly. Judas Iscariot did. Remember, he threw the money down at the feet of those, tried to give it back to him, and went out, and he wept bitterly, and he hung himself. You say, well, the difference is that Judas Iscariot hung himself, and Peter didn't. No, that's not the difference. That's not the difference. Our Lord told Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith not fail. And when you're restored, he, he told him, but he, you're going to fail Peter. I'll never deny Remember what he said? In pride, when everybody else is gone, who's going to be there? You, pride goes before fall, does it not? And yet, after our Lord Jesus was resurrected from the grave, right, he singles Peter out. Think about this. He says, go your way and tell his disciples And Peter, that he goes before to Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Prophet Micah got it right. Who is like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnants of your heritage? And I thank God for this every moment of my life. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. But there's one last truth when you study the love of God. God's love is an active force moving heaven, earth, and hell to eternally secure the salvation of every single solitary object of his love. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, what have I done? I've drawn thee. Now you think about this. The eternal God didn't love us from all eternity with an everlasting love and then turn around and entrust this eternal matter of salvation to our depraved hearts and minds or to our fickle free will. He just didn't do that. Everything that's involved in time has to do with God's pleasure not to pleasure and benefit of sinful, rebellious sons and daughters of Adam. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that those that are around the throne, this is their cry, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. and For Thy pleasure, they are and were created. Everything in this world is for one thing his pleasure his pleasure now since everything's created and maintained for god's glory and honor that is to say his pleasure and his pleasure what's his pleasure this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased what's his pleasure how he can be just to justify the ungodly that's his pleasure The very nature and character of our God demanded that he do everything, everything to secure this appointed end of salvation. God's pleasure, you think about it, it demanded that he send one mighty to save the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom God the Father declared from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Christ's perfect work is mediator of the new covenant, fulfilling all the demands of God's law and justice against all those the Father chose and gave to him, demanded that all those for whom he lived, bled, died, rose again as their surety and substitute ultimately be with him where he's at. Our Lord Jesus Christ, again in his high priestly prayer, prayed, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. God didn't leave this up to chance. And he certainly didn't leave it up to our free will. The Father's election of sinners, Christ's redemption of those same sinners is applied and made effectual in time by the work of the Holy Spirit. With loving kindness, what have I done? I've drunk. That word "drone" it's a powerful word in Hebrew. It literally means to draw all out or to drag in Hebrew. Let me give you an example. Job said this, Canst thou, here's the same word, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? <laughs> or his tongue... With a cord that you let down? In other words, can you go out there and catch whatever Leviathan was? I don't know what it was. It was a big thing. But he says, can you catch him? Can you draw him out? Can you drag him out with a hook? And the answer is what? No, you cannot. You cannot. So this being drawn of God, what is it? It's a powerful, life-giving force that only God can affect in his people by the Holy Spirit. Remember what we read in Psalm 110? That's why I read Psalm 110 this morning. Thy people shall be willing when? In the day of thy power. What does it take? It takes the power of God to bring sinners to himself. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's, It's not that God drags us kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven. There's there's Not one of God's elect is fighting like all get out to get in. What does he do? He makes them willing. How does he do that? By his power, by his might, by his Holy Spirit through regeneration conversion. He gives them eyes to see, ears to hear, heart, mind, and will to comprehend. And by God-given faith, what do they do? They both look on and see and love him who they pierce. We love him because he first loved us. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ taught, is it not? He said this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me I'll know who I has cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, this is the Father's will, all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And he goes on again, and he says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Here's the Greek equivalent of that Hebrew word draw. Draw me. Draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Let me say this, and we'll quit. This drawing can only be accomplished in a sinner by God the Holy Spirit teaching the sinner. I can tell you all about it. I can point you to it all I want. I can give you you explicit scriptures that point that salvation, full and free and complete in Christ alone, but unless he teaches you, you'll never see it. Think about this. It is written in the prophets. They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard. Because that's what we, how, do you, how are you taught? Faith comes how? All, every man that hath heard, the hearing ear, the seeing eye. The Lord made both of them. And hath learned. What's that? That's instruction that you've heard teaches you. What do we do? We've learned of the Father what he will by no means clear the guilty. That he will not pretend like I'm something I'm not. That he won't overlook my sin. He has to deal with them in strict justice. Where do we go? Every man that's heard and hath learned of the Father comes where? Comes unto me. Our Lord Jesus Christ said it best Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why? My burden's easy, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Why? Because he carried it totally and completely. How did God love us eternally? How did he draw us with cords of love? He caused us to, to follow him. I, I think about the, the the woman in the Song of Solomon. She says, Draw me and we'll run after you. And we do. We do. And we fall along the way, do we not? There's a lot of failure, but you know, we get up, we keep, we keep going to him. We'll go to him. No, no matter the situation, the circumstance, the sin, the failure, the difficulty, the heartache, where do we come? Come to him. It's not to the church or the front or even to one another. Come to him and he'll give you rest. So let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you and keep you until we see you next Sunday. Donald, if you would lead us in. A-